Good morning to everyone watching online and to the few in the proud we have in the room, <laughs> obeying the 10-person the limit. I'm going to be preaching to the people in front of me, the few here, and I'll be looking as much as I can at the iPad as well. But just know that uh, I just got a real sense that um, your hunger watching right now in your home will actually pull more out of me. <laughs> and like your desire to, to stay tuned, to look at the scriptures that we're going to be going over, uh, just as much as the people in the room can draw things out and the Lord can honor our hunger. He can honor your hunger in your living room as you set your heart to listen to the word of God from the scripture and, and watch him apply it to your lives. And so I just want to thank you for tuning in. And yeah, the title of this message this morning is a springtime visit of the king, a springtime visit of the king. And we'll be looking at Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. So if you're watching on your phone, on your, on your uh, laptop, I encourage you to get a paper Bible, if it's possible, uh, just so you can stay tuned and also look at the scripture in front of you and see those words on the pages come alive uh, in your heart as we go over them together. So a springtime visit of the king, Song of Solomon, chapter 2, 8 through 14. So a little background before we jump in about the book of the Song of Solomon. So the Song of Solomon portrays a romance between King Solomon and a young Shulamite woman. This little-known woman has been working tirelessly in obscurity in an out-of-the-way vineyard in a country, in the country of ancient Israel. This song is arranged like scenes in a one-act drama, and it greatly praises the highest virtues of love. This eight-chapter book exalts the purity of love, the beauty of love, and the eternal satisfaction that love brings us. This love that my dad was talking about, the love that we build our lives upon. To understand this book rightly, I believe we are to view the entire love story, all eight chapters, with all its twists and turns and longings and fears and delights and retreats and triumphs. I believe we are to view it all as an incredible allegorical picture pointing us to the very real right now divine romance that Jesus, the king of the universe, has for each one of us individually and for all of us collectively as his bride, the church. With proper perspective, when we view ourselves in this story as that out of the way, little known vineyard worker who is being relentlessly and beautifully pursued by a powerful and beautiful king, I believe we will be able to receive all of the heart invigorating encouragement and those rushes of divine love in real time as we read this story with our whole heart and with our eyes fixed on the King, King Jesus, and with our hearts fixed on the heavenly palace that he promised to prepare for us to live in for billions and billions and billions of years. <laughs> like that's a real place that he's prepared for us. So read with the proper angle and lens, this book will awaken real love in our hearts for God himself. This book awakens desire for Jesus. This book awakens desire for prayer. This book awakens the desire to just come away and be with Jesus. But this book doesn't just stop in the secret place though. This book awakens love for the lost because this story gives us the ability, if we have hearts to receive it, to view every single person that we encounter as being a worthy candidate for the eternal bridal love and relationship with Jesus. 
just as the young Shulamite vineyard worker from this story was a target of divine love and worthy of heart-level pursuit until she was won over by the cosmos-shaking love of the king who visited her in the spring. This book can cause us to view every stranger as a Shulamite. Every stranger, all our neighbors that we might knock on our door later can be viewed as a Shulamite worthy of divine love. This will help us to win the lost when we have compelling, agape, God-centered love for them. And this book naturally produces that. So it doesn't just stay in the secret place, which is what we'll focus on a lot this morning. Specifically this morning, we're going to be looking at the uh, verses in chapter 2, 8 through 14. And I'll be reading out of the New King James Version. And like I said, you might have to go get a paper Bible if you're watching on your phone. (laughs) Now, why chapter 2 and why specifically these seven verses this morning? Well, coming up on three weeks ago, back on Monday, March the 2nd, I received a text from a very prophetic friend in Austin. She strongly sensed that verses 11 and 12 from this chapter we're going to be marker verses for what we are about to step into in the month of March. And after meditating on them, I was encouraged to start declaring out these verses over my immediate family, my church family, and the circles of friends, and even the geographical region that we have been called to in Lake Travis. So over these past few weeks, each time I would declare these verses from this second chapter of the Song of Solomon, I just sensed the weight of heaven backing them And a real tangible faith would well up in my heart as I spoke them out loud, using the scripture as my weapon coming up into this season. As I declared and prayed these verses, I would consciously welcome in the springtime realities that they talk about. I would welcome them into my heart, my little family's heart, my church family's heart, and all the Bible studies that God has given leadership uh, for us to, to lead. Well, this past Thursday, just a few days ago, Brooke and I were out on a little hill country getaway about three hours west of here in the Frio River Canyon. We were hiking in Garner State Park along the Frio River. And in that afternoon, that Thursday afternoon, right before we started a big hike, I received a text from my grandma, 83-year-old Sarah Lane. She's probably not watching because she doesn't have Facebook. But she texted us on Thursday afternoon, and she said in the text that this day, that Thursday, March 19th, was the earliest first day of spring in over 100 years. Now, when I looked it up, the first day of spring is based on the day where there's equal amount of sunlight to the equal amount of darkness. And so it's usually on March 21st or 22nd, but this was the earliest day of spring in over 100 years. So this got me thinking. This little grandma current event fact reminded me of the springtime verses that I had been declaring the past few weeks and warring with and fighting with in the spiritual realm. And her text gave me the idea that when we got to the top of the old Baldy mountain summit there at Garner State Park, that Brooke and I should declare this whole second chapter out loud, out loud from that high place, declaring it over our lives and the lives of the people we care about. And little Lane, our, our 11-month-old baby girl, joined in on the declaring with her, her baby declarations. <laughs> Out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants, he ordained strength to silence the enemy and the accuser, the avenger. So each time a baby starts shouting out, that enemy and the avenger is being silenced because there's life coming out of that little baby, and God is a God of life. So when you hear a baby crying, just be like, wow, some enemy is getting silenced right now. <laughs> so... We did it. We declared it, and it was beautiful. The verses had so much weight on them, just like they had the past few weeks before up on that mountain, and they were being backed up in the natural realm with warm breezes, 
birds singing loudly, flowers blooming everywhere amidst the backdrop of thousands of lime green spotted trees blooming in all their springtime glory over those impressive Texas hills. Now, I've been planning all week this morning to actually speak out of Judges chapter 6 on spiritual warfare. But on the drive home Friday from the hill country, I heard really, really, really clearly in my heart the 14th verse of this chapter just drop all of a sudden on our drive. It exploded, and again, it welled up to such a point that I was brought to tears. Tears of love for Jesus and for his plan and for his seasons. Love for you guys, River in the Hills Church family. And just a radical trust and confidence in his shepherd's heart over each one of us and over our church family, especially in these wild, unprecedented times. That's what a little word of God can do. That's what one little verse can do. In that moment, his word became louder than any news report, than anything on my phone that was trying to buzz in. His word became louder than any prospect of doom and gloom. His word in that moment silenced all uncertainty, and became an all-consuming reality for me on that drive home. So that's my prayer for us this morning in sharing these seven verses and really opening up the scripture for us. It's really simple. It's that his word would be so loud and it would become our greatest reality and our greatest news report that we hear today. I desire that we would all be emboldened as the people of God to let the Lord simply hear our voices more than ever in these next weeks. And that we would allow the Lord to see our faces as we come to him in pure devotion and pure worship. Let me hear your voice. Let me see your face. That's the verse that dropped in my heart. We'll look at it at the end. I just have this strange faith, River in the Hills Church family, that from these verses and from the Holy Spirit, that this springtime reality that we are witnessing in the natural realm right now, in the natural creation all around us, the grass becoming brilliant green, the flowers that are springing up all around, the birds that just can't stop singing. This springtime reality, I have this strange faith that it's going to be birthed deeper in our hearts in this season, even in all the uncertainty. In our hearts and our homes, this springtime reality, I believe the Lord is giving us an invitation to step into. I believe the Lord wants to make repeated daily springtime visits, just like the king made a springtime visit to the Shulamite young girl. As we set aside, as we do our part and set aside actual time, real hours to spend with him in his word, in worship, and in prayer. We all need, need the winds of refreshing. We need the south winds of his spirit to blow on us. We need the encouragement, the faith, and the invigorating life flow that only happens by being in the very presence of God as he visits us in a real way. And remember... It's not just for us or the secret place. Think about how much we will stand out to the people around us. And so many, even in the church, who are buying into the gloom of this virus and the darkness of economic prospects and the isolation of social distancing, think how brightly we will shine amidst this dark backdrop as these vibrant springtime realities burst forth in our hearts and become evidence in our radical faith and hearts that sing and pray and encourage and smile and are quick to bring the sunshine into the quarantine spaces of fear and retreat and isolation. What an opportunity for us to be like the lilies of the field who neither toil nor spin or worry, 
but are more beautifully dressed and arrayed in much more splendor and majesty than the finest garment that this king, King Solomon, from this book was ever arrayed in. Because, why would this happen? Because we will have been dressed by God himself, just like those flowers we're going to see all around us, clothed in his beauty, clothed in his presence, rather than being clothed by the culture of fear and doubt and panic. Let's allow God to dress us in the springtime beauty that these seven verses promise us now. Let us be vibrant. Let us sing. God, I thank you for your word. Open up our hearts. Open up our eyes right now to see wondrous things from your law. In Jesus' name. The Song of Solomon, chapter 2, starting in verse 8. Remember, this is the vineyard worker, the young Shulamite woman, which represents us speaking. This young woman, the future bride of the king, is rejoicing in the fact that the king is making his springtime visit. So let us view and hear these next two verses as our own individual voices, rejoicing in the fact that King Jesus really can and really will visit us during our daily quarantines. Verse 8, the voice of my beloved... Behold, he comes, leaping upon the mountains, skipping upon the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, he stands behind our wall. He is looking through the windows, gazing through the lattice. The voice of my beloved, verse 8. This is the voice of our King Jesus. And this young woman hears the king. She hears his voice and her heart leaps with joy at the sound of one whisper of his voice. Behold, he comes. He comes to us, Rith family. When we invite him, he really does come. When we hunger for him, he really does show up. When we desire him, he really does draw near. When we draw near to him, he draws near to us. Behold, he comes and he will come. He's leaping upon the mountains skipping upon the hills. There's no shadow that our king won't light up. There's no mountain that our king won't climb up coming after us. They should write a song about that, about that verse. Corey Asbury, if you're watching, thank you. I wonder if you got it from this, this verse. Look at him. He's leaping upon the mountains. He's skipping upon the hills. This language here shows us how relentlessly Our king is pursuing our hearts. There's no mountains. There's no hills. There's no barriers. There's no shame. There's no predispositions. There's no personality wirings. There's no hurts. There's nothing insurmountable for Jesus, the king of the universe, to come and meet with us, to pay us a very real visit and touch our hearts with his love and his beauty. No matter where you're at geographically, you are a worthy candidate just like this Shulamite woman was a worthy candidate on the backside of nowhere. You are a worthy candidate, and there's nothing too big that will stop Jesus from entering in if we let him, if we welcome him in. Revelation 3.20, Jesus stands at our door, and he knocks. If anyone hears his voice and makes the decision to let him in, he will come in and dine with them, and they will dine with him. That's a promise. If we welcome in this king, this mountain leaping, barrier breaking, relentless pursuer and lover of our hearts, he will come. Do you hear 
his whisper of love to your heart? Have you heard it at some point during this service today? The whispers that can actually right now silence accusations, can silence remembrances of rejection. Do you hear his voice like the Shulamite woman heard his voice? And does your heart leap for joy like hers did when she said, the voice of my beloved? Do you see him coming to you? Picture him. Close your eyes. Even if you're in your home, right? Picture him coming to you. Do you see him leaping over your own mountains of worry in this time? Do you see him skipping upon your hills of doubt and past disappointments? Do you see him overcoming them to pay you a daily visit? I do. (laughs) Verse nine, my beloved, she says about him, is like a gazelle or a young stag. She likens the king here. She likens his effortless grace and strength and beauty as he's running towards her, like the effortless grace and power of a gazelle. Jesus is steady. He's sure. He's gentle. He's graceful. He's kind when he comes to us. He's incredibly powerful, like the most powerful buck you've ever seen, (laughs) the most powerful gazelle you've ever seen. He's incredibly powerful, but he's also incredibly meek and incredibly graceful. When he visits us in the secret place of prayer, he comes like a powerful and graceful gazelle, bringing peace in every single stride. She says, behold, verse nine, he stands behind our wall. He is looking through the windows, gazing through the lattice. (laughs) I love this. Our King Jesus has X-ray vision to our hearts. Perfect vision. He can see through any wall that we try to put up. He sees the deepest longings and the movements and the desires of our hearts. He knows every thought before we have it. He sees us and knows us completely. Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down. You know my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. If you're sitting there on your couch and delivering, he knows the exact moment that you're going to stand up. He knows you. He sees you. Even if there's three feet of concrete between you and the outside world, he sees through that. And of course, he sees into our hearts. It's the most important thing. He looks through the windows of our soul and doesn't just look to expose or point out our flaws. That's not how he looks at us. Look at this word from this verse. He gazes through the lattice. He gazes through the lattice. He gazes at all of us. That word implies that he longingly and lovingly and tenderly looks at us with beautiful intent to love us through our dark winters into springtime. He loves us and looks at us with beautiful intent to invite us into heart level freedom. This isn't a stare of condemnation or ridicule that we often feel even in our turbulent hearts. This is a mercy laced, a kindness dripping gaze of affection in order that he might have all of us and win us from the inside out, even with just one glance. This verse gives language to the experience that I had on July 23rd, 2013, the day the Lord set me free from addiction and truly visited me with tangible divine love. 
on that day, I had the deepest awareness and experience that he saw me. And on that day, as worship music was being sung over the live stream from the International House of Prayer, by the way, live stream works. The Lord can work through it. He worked through it in this testimony to set me free. Jesus, in those moments, opened my eyes to the fact that he was standing behind my wall the whole time, looking through my lattice. He saw my fears, my messes, my brokenness, but his look was one of total acceptance. His gaze was one of total love, total kindness, total peace. You name it, it was all good. It wasn't just a look, it was a gaze. And this gaze changed everything for me, and it can change everything for you. So for us this morning, and through these next few weeks, Jesus only has good intentions as he stands behind our wall, as he gazes through our lattice, as he looks through our windows. Rest in this fact right now. And even physically in the natural realm, as you set aside time to be with him, think of this verse as most of us will be homebound during the next few weeks. Think of this verse and and behold him, picture him standing behind the wall of your house, like actual your house. Picture him looking through the actual windows, gazing through the lattices of your doors, desperately desiring to come in and just be with you. I see it. So verses 10 through 14, I'm going to read over us us now. And these are the words and the direction that the king gave to the young woman during his springtime visit. And these are the words that I believe the king is giving us in in this season. Listen to these words over listening to the latest fear-laced reports on CNN or even Fox News. Listen to these words over and above listening to the words on Twitter. These are the words that define us as the lovely sought after bride. These are the directives that our hearts are to take and follow above any mere wisdom of man in this hour. These are the words of the King over his beloved ones. These are his words over you church family verses 10 through 14 and just sit and receive these words. The bride speaking to the King and hearing his voice. The king says over the bride, he's saying over us, rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. For lo, the winter is past. The rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth. The time of singing has come. And the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree puts forth her green figs and the vines with the tender grapes give a good smell. Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. O my dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the secret places of the cliff, let me see your face. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. That's what the king is saying over us. Verse 10, my beloved spoke and said to me, rise up, my love, my fair one. The king is telling us to rise up, to not retreat back. (laughs) As everything else is telling us to do is to retreat back. The king is saying, rise up, 
my love, my fair one. Rise up in daily devotion to the beautiful king that I am. Don't retreat back in stagnation and mindless idle chatter. Here he is again, lovingly doting on us and gazing on us with affection, calling us his love, his fair ones, his beautiful ones. <laughs> Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. This is an actual invitation with an action step involved for deep intimacy with Jesus. My dad said it last week. Every cancellation is an invitation to the deeper things of God's heart. Every cancellation that we see, and there's been hundreds, probably for each one of us. Every cancellation is an invitation to the deeper things of God's heart. What a privilege. What a blessing that we get so much margin, so much space to go after the very heart of God. This directive, though, there's action involved here to come away. This reminds me of the famous invitation from Jesus himself in Matthew 11. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Thank you, Rachel, for mining out this simple truth from this verse last month in our Lake Travis prayer room, Gatekeeper Encouragement, which is on our YouTube channel. There's an action step here to come away with Jesus. And there's the promise that he will give us rest. He'll give us heart level peace as we do. The action step of coming away might look like coming away with him onto your porch or onto your balcony, literally stepping away from whoever else is in your house and coming away with him. It might look like putting in uh, earphones with worship music as long as your responsibilities in front of you aren't taking a hit. My mom told me a story yesterday of a French man who's on quarantine. He ran a marathon on his balcony. The length of his balcony was 23 feet. He ran a marathon back and forth over 6,000 times on his balcony. Surely we can spend an hour following this directive on our balcony each day. This directive from the Song of Songs first and Matthew 11 to come away with the Holy One of Israel. You don't have to break a sweat. <laughs> it might look like, as my dad invited us earlier, to come away with him in this prayer room. We're still going to be open. The ark is still open. It's going to be sanitized. If there's more than 10 people. If you've been here, the longest we ask you to leave so that people who come in after you can experience the Lord here. But there's an action involved in this step. Come away, my love, he says. Verse 11. For lo, why should we come away? Look at this little verse 4. It's giving the reason for also because rise up, come away, my beloved for lo, the winter is past. The rain is over and gone. The king here is giving us the reason, the why behind the fact that we should come away with him. Just like in the natural here in central Texas, the winter is currently fleeing away. Might not have felt like it the last few days, but it's currently fleeing away. The rain will be ending by this afternoon. And this next week here in Austin, it's going to be sunny and dry and warm. Wednesday through Friday, the highs are going to be topping out close to the 90s, even the low 90s. So just like the natural creation is still obeying God's word, <laughs> and they're still obeying the warm south winds that God is blowing on this land, King Jesus is inviting us into these verses 
to remember how much of the winter he's delivered us from. For us to remember how far he's taken us. For us to remember the rain that he has already delivered us from. The rain of our past sins and failures. And his promise that he will continue to be the same God that he was for us back then. The same God that he was for me on July 23rd, 2013. He's going to be for me now. He's still going to deliver me from winter. He's still going to deliver me from rain. That's not my story anymore. He's inviting us to look into our hearts and our histories and see how far he has taken us out of the barrenness, out of the coldness of sin and delivered us into the springtime reality of a new life and a new creation that he made available to us through the new birth of salvation when he gave us a new heart and when he shed his blood for us on the cross. His wounds have given us an entrance into this vibrant, green, flourishing life. And the king here is using this reality that the the winter's gone, the rain is over. He's using this reality as the why behind we should accept the invitation to rise up and set aside time to come away with him and fall deeper and deeper in love with him. If you have said yes to Jesus, the winter, listen to this, the winter of darkness is in the past. The reign of slavery to sin has no hold on you as a follower of Jesus. The clouds of despair are meant to be in your past. You have the authority and the access and the invitation to be seated with Jesus in heavenly places and forget the shame and the sins of your youth and your past. To forget your old seasons of barrenness and enter into his goodness and his freshness. That is what he's saying in this verse. (laughs) Verses 12 and 13. These verses give the beautiful outworkings of the believer's heart that has obeyed this invitation from verse 10 to come away with the king. And the heart that has made it a point to sincerely take hold of the verse 11 reality that the king is offering the reality that he really has delivered us from the domain of darkness and winter and transferred us into his own kingdom of marvelous light. Verse 12, first part of the outworking. The flowers appear on the earth. The time of singing has come and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The flowers appear on the earth. These flowers here represent the inner beauties in a believer's life, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the faithfulness, the gentleness, the self-control, as well as the outer fruit of lives who have actually been touched by our gospel witness, our selfless love, our generosity. That's what these flowers represent. Inside fruit and outside fruit. Now, while we are on the topic of flowers, let's get current and practical with all the worry that's going to be tempting us this week and has been. Who has worried (laughs) at some point this last week about some future financial need, especially given the crisis right now? You can raise your hand even in your home. I definitely have. (laughs) Jesus literally told us to consider or to think about the flowers in these situations. If you think that's, a little frilly and a little like not manly. Jesus, the manliest man ever said, think about flowers. 
Think about flowers when we are tempted. (laughs) So cool. (laughs) Think about flowers when we are tempted to worry and fear and doubt the Lord's provision. The practical encouragement from Jesus was to think about flowers and actually be like a flower, be like a lily, and to not worry and to trust that just like God graciously clothes all the flowers with stunning beauty, so he will clothe us too with stunning beauty in and through and after all this stuff that's going on. Beauty and provision is in our future. Beauty and provision, being clothed, being fed, being cared for, is in our future as the people of God, as the sheep of his pasture. I have been young. And I'm still kind of young, but this, not what this verse says. I have been young and now I am old, Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his children begging bread. Psalm 37. Matthew 6, the words of Jesus. So why do you worry about clothing? Why do you worry worry about your electric bill? Consider, think about, meditate on, chew on the lilies of the field. Don't chew on them, actually. That might be dangerous with some flowers. Consider the lilies of the field. Consider how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. So actually one of the most practical things we can do, church family, if we find ourselves in doubt this week is to obey the words of Jesus and go find a blue bonnet and just stare at it until your heart arrives at the truth that our God is a gracious God, that he's a good God, He's a beautiful God, and he's a providing God. A little fun flower fact from current events. It's actually in Israel. And I encourage us always, especially in these times, to look to Israel. Look to Israel. Look to the Jewish people. Israel is always the main stage for God's plan and his timing. Jerusalem specifically. It's always the centerpiece of God's play with humanity. Well, Israel had the most rain ever recorded for any month in the month of January. Most rain ever recorded in the history of Israel, the month of January. All this rain has caused wildflowers, springtime color and beauty to spring up in places that rarely, if ever, see these rare colorful displays of wildflowers. Flowers are everywhere in Israel right now like right by the Dead Sea, by all the death. (laughs) Consider the lilies. Stare at blue bonnets when you're worried. Continuing the verse. The time of singing has come, and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. Songs of freedom, songs of praise, songs of joy. This is our portion. According to Ephesians 5, 18 through 20, the most practical sign and outworking that we are actually filled with the Holy Spirit is that we are consistently singing to God and to one another with songs of praise and thanksgiving and joy. When Brooke and I were on our hill country getaway, uh, we kept seeing this bird come up to our little cabin right by the Sabino River. And we looked it up. We found out it was called a vermilion flycatcher, vermilion flycatcher. And we were stunned by the brightness of this little songbird. It was like this red, orange, vermilion color that was like almost fluorescent, brilliant, like it was hard to look at. 
And we looked it up like this little bird's amazing. It's like blinding our eyes and it's singing beautifully. It's happy. It's free. It's getting all these bugs by the river. It's a happy little guy and it's bright. And we looked it up and actually most fly catchers are, are rather drab, <laughs> like a light brown or a gray, but this one is brilliant. It stands out. It's rare. We looked it up that, that bird people don't actually keep them in cages or, or use them to show people because when they're kept in cages, they actually lose their brightness. When they're kept in, in slavery or oppression in the cages, they stop shining. And we're like, oh my gosh, there's so many prophetic layers on that. <laughs> but listen, guys, it has to be free in order to shine. Think of us shining free in the midst of the backdrop of all the fear. Think how much of a witness we'll be as we are like vermilion flycatchers, <laughs> happy, singing, free, whom the sun sets free is free indeed. It is for freedom that he set us free. Not so that we would just be free, but that we would shine and bring him glory and show everyone else around us why we're so free. It's because of Jesus. He set us free. Let us see ourselves as truly living in a springtime reality and in so doing, find ourselves shining and being hard to look at, just like Brooke was hard to look at when I first saw her because she was shining so bright. Let us be hard to look at because we are so vibrant. We're so free. Let us be a Vermilion Flycatcher worship team. You can come on up. Jesus said something about birds too in the context of being tempted to worry and let fear steal their joy and their song. Same thing with the flowers. He said, look at the birds of the air. Look at those flycatchers for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So again, one of the most practical things we can do, River in the Hills Church family, if we find ourselves in joylessness, or we sense that worry is, is beginning to rob our song, the directive from Jesus, just like the flower one, is basically to go and find a songbird and just stare at it and listen to it until your heart arrives at the truth that our God is a gracious God and that he provides for us. Last two verses, verse 13, the fig tree puts forth her green figs and the vines with the tender grapes give a good smell. Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. So the king here gives more pictures, imagery and pictures of how our lives have the ability to be well-pleasing to God. He can thoroughly enjoy us in our labors. What a, what a freeing thought that he thoroughly enjoys us in our labors. Just like a fig tree owner finds incredible delight and satisfaction as he bites into that first ripe, sweet, juicy fig that comes forth from his tree. The Lord will delight in our efforts and our labors for his kingdom. The Lord's going to delight that my dad's going to go knock on our neighbor's door today because he will see that all the time, all the investment, all the love, all the care that he has poured into my dad is paying off. Just like a vineyard owner would find ecstatic joy in the first sip of that smooth glass of wine after the years and years that it has taken him to perfect that grape, so will King Jesus sip and savor the fruit of joy that we are walking in as we delight to do his will and obey his commands. If we do, verses 10 and 11, verses 12 and 13 will happen. They really will. If we rise up, if we don't retreat, if we make the daily decision to truly and sincerely come away and be with our King Jesus as his beloved ones and his beautiful ones, 
and we make the decision to believe that we actually have been delivered from our dead and barren winter lives and the downpours of sin's tyranny that are over in God, we will see the flowers springing up in our hearts. We will sing like the turtle dove. We will shine like the vermilion flycatcher. We will see the external figs of fruit of the many lives changed around us. And our lives will be well-pleasing to the Lord and give a good smell to him, just like those figs do. And like the finest wine tastes to him. If we lay hold of verses 10 and 11, we will watch verses 12 and 13 happen. It's promised. And I love that he bookends these verses. He bookends verses 10 and 14 with the same call. Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. I love that he bookends all of this fruit in the middle there with the exact same invitation to just be with him. Before and after any cool thing we do for God, before and after any big success, and before and after all the fruit of our lives is given to him in eternity, his desire and our response should be the exact same, just to be with him, just to be with him in love and devotion and intimacy. He loved us first and he loved us last. He was with us before our parents were ever with us as a baby and he'll be with us long after they're gone. He wants to be with you on your most successful day and your worst day and every day in between in quarantine. Last verse, rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. Oh, my dove, verse 14. Oh, my dove, see yourselves as his dove. Oh, my dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the secret places of the cliff, let me see your face. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your countenance is lovely. In this last verse that we're going to look at, the king goes deeper into this invitation to come away and gives us very clear and simple directions for what this coming away with him actually looks and sounds like. The king starts again with a term of great affection for the Shulamite woman and for us as his dove. Oh, my dove. And then goes on to give a picture from nature and geology to represent a heart reality and a location that he desires for this young woman to seek after and to find and to position herself and her home in. This picture is of a little enclave in the high places of a rocky outcrop on the side of a mountain where the birds of prey like hawks and eagles would make their nests, they would make their homes. These rocky clefts were protected from the natural elements of the wind and the rain, as well as protected from all land-bound beasts and predators. This secret place, this hideout, church family, in the rocky outcrop was above the snake line. And the hawk's nests and the babies would be virtually indestructible here. The birds could be at rest here, serene and secure in an elevated place. So the king is telling her in this desperate plea, and I believe he's desperately pleading to us this morning, in this verse 14, that he wants her to make her nest, her home, with him in this untouchable, hidden secret place where she will actually just show him her face confidence, a place where she could simply look at him in a location that tangibly is peaceful and secure, a place where he could look at her beauty, a place where she could talk to him and sing to him and listen to him like he's the only person on that mountain. He's inviting her into a real undistracted dialogue and into a real relationship with him where it's just him and her in a place of total security, 
a place where she could breathe and let her hair down and just be herself. (laughs) And this is the verse that dropped in my heart and shifted the whole message for us this morning. This is a verse that brought me to tears thinking about you guys. I heard the Lord speaking in my heart, making this desperate plea to our church family. All he wants, guys, is just to hear your voices. He just wants for you to break the sound barrier. Tell him you love him. Tell him you're thankful for him. Tell him that he's a good shepherd. Tell him that you trust him. He wants to just hear your voices. He wants to see your faces. It's really that simple. Oh, my dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the secret places of the cliff, let me see your face. Let me hear your voice. For your voice is sweet and your countenance is lovely. He wants to hear our voices. Our voices are sweet to him. He wants to see our faces. Our faces are lovely. They're beautiful to him. Do you see yourself as beautiful, as lovely in his eyes? Do you hear your voice as actually sweet to him? On that drive back, church family, I did. I heard each one of your voices as sweet to him. I saw these verses becoming true for each one of you guys. I saw your faces as endlessly beautiful to him. And I asked him this morning, I was like, why are they so beautiful? Why are the voices so, so sweet? And he really clearly spoke in my heart. He said, because I made them and I don't make junk. I make beautiful things. If anyone else calls you ugly or your voice annoying, tell them to be quiet. Because the Lord says, your voice is lovely. Your voice is sweet. Your face is lovely. Let me see it. Let me hear it. So we're going to invite up Nate, and he's going to, uh, Pastor Nate's going to uh, lead us in a time of, of prayer for right now needs. And just to recap, is let's make a decision to go into the clefts of the rock with our king. Let's make a decision right now. Just say these, this declaration after me. I will go into the clefts of the rock with my king. I will go into the secret places of the cliff with Jesus. I will let him see my face. I will let him hear my voice. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for the springtime that you promised us. Lord, I thank you for these verses, that they are so true. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would release to everyone who's listened, in my own heart, these realities as we seek you and as we set aside time to just be with you. We love you, Lord, and we trust you more than ever in these times. Be glorified in this place. Be glorified through answered prayer right now.